Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Sam Maupin Engineering. Today we'll have a conversation with Ann Edwards. She is the uh, Executive Director of Restored Hope Network. We'll talk about a bill in the Oregon legislature, House Bill 2458, that would prohibit so-called conversion therapy or talk therapy, if you will. It would muzzle professionals in doing their job in this one area. It's a form of censorship. She'll join us in the second hour of today's program. And we'll share a conversation I had about a week ago with uh, Ron Post, the founder of uh, Northwest Medical Teams and Mission Increase, and author of Unchained, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives. We'll also take a look at uh, what's been trending on Twitter and how that contrasts with what's happening on college campuses over the last uh, week or so, where they say there's a revival. All of that coming up on today's program. But first, a look at some of the day's headlines. This time is different. Governor DeSantis revealed what an ex-Disney CEO said about woke pressure amid the Florida fight. The former Disney CEO privately complained to the governor about pressure from the woke left and amid the Florida fight. He didn't want Disney to get involved, but he was getting a lot of pressure to weigh in against the bill. DeSantis writes. Extinction-level events with the New York governor's controversial housing and tax proposals even have some Democrats on edge there. And how offensive Virginia Democrats claim that teaching the evils of communism will offend Asian Americans in a um, dangerous stereotype that all Asian Americans are, in fact, uh, individuals who embrace communism. Hmm. Ted, uh, Senator Ted Cruz is calling for a Senate investigation into new charges against Biden's FAA nominee. And keeping an eye, GOP senators want robust oversight of a controversial DHS program aiding illegal migrants facing deportation. Standing up strong, GOP governors um, are suing the um, or, or rather ringing the death knell on the Chinese Communist Party buying U.S. land Near military sites, Republican Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin said he'll sign a bipartisan bill that will block the Chinese Communist Party from buying farmland in his state, including near military installations such as Quantico and the Pentagon. In the running, a Fox News poll reveals the top 2024 Republican preferences for White House run. More than half Democratic primary voters want someone other than Joe Biden as the party's 2024 presidential nominee. Former President Trump uh, looks formidable. Republican primary voters were uh, read a list of 15 announced and potential candidates for the 2024 nomination. Former President Trump tops the list with 43 percent, followed by Ron DeSantis at 28 percent. Nikki Haley and Mike Pence at 7% respectively, and Greg Abbott and Liz Cheney at 2% each. In viewership decline, CNN is on pace to have the smallest monthly audience since the Obama administration among advertiser-coveted demographics. 
saying we've got to get this trajectory down. Senator Manchin warns of a national debt threat. Respect and revenge or reverence, rather, a New Jersey man walked across the U.S. to raise nearly one hundred thousand dollars for homeless veterans. That's respect and reverence. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear the student loan forgiveness case on Tuesday. The court will consider sharp curbs to the power of the executive branch in a case beginning Tuesday, potentially diluting the influence of future presidents for years to come. The conflict between the executive and the judiciary that's been growing in recent years will be on view when the court hears arguments over the Biden administration's roughly $400 billion plan to forgive federal student debt for tens of millions of borrowers. Two cases before the court give the justices an opportunity to set strict limits over the president's ability to implement policies without explicit authorization from Congress. The move would limit President Biden's ambitions at a moment when he faces few prospects for legislative breakthroughs. Biden has um, uh, this month announced he would stop classifying COVID as a national emergency on the 11th of May. These federal declarations have been in place since early 2020 in the Trump administration, um, waiving, pausing or modifying a range of areas, including Medicaid, Medicare, private health insurance, vaccines, telework and immigration. Again, May 11th is the day to mark. The U.S. Energy Department is backing the covid lab leak theory. The Wall Street Journal, as well as other outlets, report the U.S. Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak, according to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. The Energy Department now joins the Federal Bureau of Investigation in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. Four other agencies, along with the National Intelligence Panel, still judge that This is likely the result of a national transmission or a natural transmission and two are undecided. Michael Schellenberger says that now that the U.S. Department of Energy has joined FBI and concluding that the coronavirus likely leaked from a lab, it's worth remembering that the media in mass condemned the lab leak theory as a debunked conspiracy theory and Facebook censored people who dared suggest it. President Biden has no plans to visit East Palestine. That's in Ohio. The president defended his decision to not visit East Palestine, Ohio, this month after a massive train derailment led to a toxic spill that's impacting the local community. The catastrophic February 3rd train derailment in the small Ohio community was caused by an overheated wheel bearing on the 23rd of 149 rail cars. Local officials subsequently evacuated all residents within one mile of the accident and started a controlled burn of the vinyl chloride that the train was transporting in an effort to prevent a massive explosion from occurring. RNC research says the president smirks and immediately gets very defensive when a journalist tells him the mayor of East Palestine, Ohio, says he saw you in Ukraine and he says, I'll tell you, he doesn't care about us, end quote. The University of North Carolina has barred mandatory diversity, equity, inclusion statements for staff and students. We'll tell you more about it in just a moment, but we need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show coming up later in the program. Ann Edwards, she is the executive director of Restore Hope Network. We'll talk about House Bill 2458 in Oregon's legislature as we speak. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
The University of North Carolina has barred mandatory diversity, equity, inclusion statements for staff and students. The University of North Carolina voted to ban students and staff from being forced to make these statements. It comes just days after another North Carolina school, NC State University, reversed a requirement asking applicants to answer an essay uh, question affirming the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda. Uh, Kenny Zhu, president of Color Us United, which advocates for a race blind society, told Fox News Digital that his organization has been leading a campaign to remove DEI from medical education practice. But he believes the move by UNC will have implications for high uh, for higher education across the country. Color Us United wrote a petition to get the dean of UNC Medical School to denounce DEI, which required diversity statements in the hiring and promotion process. South Carolina is considering new taxes targeting those moving to the state. The Yankee tax advanced in the South Carolina State Senate this week, which uh, would track an extra uh, fee to those moving to the Palmetto State when they register their cars. The tax proposed by Republican State Senator Stephen Goldfinch would add an additional $250 fee to the $250 already paid by new transplants to register their vehicles. The money would go toward infrastructure in the state. Goldfinch, uh, who represents coastal counties near Charleston, said the intent of the measure was not to slow down the influx of new residents, but to generate more revenue for the state to improve infrastructure. His proposal comes after droves of people from the Northeast have moved down south to South Carolina in recent years. According to the U.S. Census, nearly half a million people moved to the Palmetto State in the past decade. People flocked to the southeast during the pandemic and stayed due to the host of reasons, including work flexibility, lower taxes and warmer weather. China is pondering providing Russia with deadly arms and drones for the Ukraine war. U.S. officials say China is considering delivering the artillery and drones to Russia forces uh, that could prolong the war, even as Beijing called for peace talks to end the fighting on the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The official said no weapons deliveries have yet taken place, but if China were to go ahead and deliver lethal aid to Russia, the resulting tensions could shape Western relations with Beijing for years and potentially have profound consequences on the battlefield in Ukraine at a point when both sides are gearing up for the spring offensive. From a Chinese perspective, CBS reports it is important that Russia is not defeated, according to Michael Horowitz, a geopolitical and security analyst and head of intelligence at Lebec Consultancy. Beijing, he said, had already been providing Russia with significant support, be it in the form of increased oil imports, dual-use components, microchips imported from Western countries, and satellite imagery. Mexico is undergoing mass protests as the government seeks to change its electoral authority. Huge crowds gathered in Mexico on Sunday to condemn government moves to shrink the electoral authority as a threat to democracy in what appeared to be the largest protest so far against um, President uh, Arbador's administration. Organizers said uh, to be over 500,000 people turned out in Mexico City with video footage on social media showing the central Zocalo Square filled with protesters who also spilled out into the adjoining streets. One police officer nearby said he had uh, heard of a half a million figures, uh, while others gave lower estimates. Mexico's Congress on Wednesday approved a major overhaul of the National Electoral Institute, an independent body which Lopez Arbador has uh, attacked as corrupt and inefficient. 
30 years have passed since the World Trade Center bombing. Remember that before 9-11? That was the big headline. On a snowy February day 30 years ago, Manhattan was rocked by an explosion in the public parking garage under the World Trade Center. A cell of Islamic extremist terrorists had parked a rented Ford Econoline van packed full of some 1,200 pounds of explosives there, hoping to topple the Twin Towers and kill Americans with a goal of pressuring the United States to rescind its support for Israel. At 12.18 p.m. on February 26, 1993, the explosives were detonated via a fuse that gave the terrorist bombers time to make an escape. Even though the terrorists were unsuccessful to bring down either the Twin Towers that day, the explosion left a stories deep crater beneath the World Trade Center, sent smoke pouring upward into the Twin Towers, and officially claimed six lives while injuring more than a thousand as tens of thousands of people fought through smoke-filled stairwells to evacuate the World Trade Center. The uh, New York Fire Department said 30 years ago, FDNY members battled fire in the unstable collapse area of the parking garage below two World Trade Center, while others climbed the tower searching for and evacuating civilians. Six people were killed in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and over a thousand injured. No one knew that some years later, both towers would come down. Vice President Kamala Harris called pro-life citizens extremists in her defense of abortion, which is mainstream, according to the vice president. She trashed pro-life Americans on Friday, calling them extremists and defending abortion as a fundamental freedom. Well, it's limited in that it only impacts one of the two parties involved. The vice president met with leaders from the nation's most aggressively pro-abortion groups, including Planned Parenthood and NARAL, Pro-Choice America, to promote killing more babies with a dangerous abortion pill. During the meeting, the vice president claims pro-life Americans who want to protect babies from abortions are extremists who oppose health care, even though killing a baby and injuring women in abortions is the opposite of health care. This is not just an attack on women's fundamental freedoms. It's an attack on the very foundation of our public health system, Harris said. New Mexico plans to hunt cows from helicopters. Well, this weekend, cows roaming in southwest New Mexico's national forest are being hunted from helicopters after the United States Forest Service decided to move forward with plans to use lethal methods to remove approximately 150 head of cattle in the National Forest's second chopper uh, chopper hunt in as many years. Uh, Despite the Federal Reserve covering more than 3 million acres, apparently these 150 cows need to be gunned down from above to protect public safety, threatened and endangered species habitat, water quality, and the natural character of the wilderness. The Forest Service says the cattle set to, uh, to be shot from helicopters are feral and have been aggressive toward wilderness visitors, graze year-round and trample stream banks and springs, causing erosion and sedimentation. So your tax dollars at work funding chopper cow hunters that will leave some 65 tons of otherwise good beef to decompose in the national forest because otherwise 150 cows might trample some grass in the 3 million acre reserve. The U.S. Department of Energy says COVID came from a lab. The department has finally concluded that COVID-19 virus was most likely due to a leak from a lab in Wuhan, China. The Energy Department based its conclusions on new intelligence, joining the FBI as the only other federal agency supporting the lab leak theory. While at uh, first glance, it may seem strange that the Energy Department would hold an official opinion on the subject. 
The agency is tasked with oversight on a, of a network of national labs across the country, including some that are engaged in high-level biological research. Also, this represents a change of opinion for an energy department that had previously held to the Wuhan wet market origin theory, which increasingly appears to be a Beijing-contrived conspiracy theory. Indeed, a spokeswoman from the Chinese Foreign Ministry predictably declared that COVID uh, tracing is a scientific issue that should not be politicized and charged the U.S. to stop uh, defaming China, end quote. And with House Republicans investigating the origin of COVID, the question as to how this deadly global pandemic began will not be swept under the rug, no matter the degree of um, China's objections. James Bond has been revised and Dahl, the publisher, is backtracking. With the coming 70th anniversary of Ian Fleming's book, Casino Royale, that launched the iconic British spy James Bond, the publisher is set to re-release the classic novel series with a woke twist. The new books will be scrubbed of certain potentially offensive language. This decision comes courtesy of Ian Fleming Publication Limited following a review of the novels by sensitivity readers. Fleming's updated books will include a disclaimer. This book was written at a time when terms and attitudes, which might be considered offensive by modern readers, were commonplace. A number of updates have been made in this edition while keeping as close as possible to the origin of the original text and the period in which it is set, end quote. One of the many racial language changes included the replacement of the N-word, not sorry to see that go, which Fleming widely used in the novels that were first published in the 50s and 60s. With James Bond being such an iconic figure, thanks more to the film franchise and uh, that has uh, produced more movies than Fleming wrote books, will these um, edits be met with the same objections raised against editing Roald Dahl's classic uh, children's books? Well, speaking of Dahl, following public backlash, the publisher has offered a compromise, releasing the original version with no changes, along with the newly edited versions. A statement from uh, Puffin read in part, readers will be free to choose which version of Dahl's stories they prefer. It will be interesting to see which versions sell more copies. Well, it will be interesting to see. Well, the power grid is at risk from renewables. The push to embrace renewable energy is having a significantly negative impact on America's electric grid. And few politicians acknowledge the problem, let alone act to seriously address it. As the nation's energy demands continue to rise, a recent report from J.P. Morgan, rather PJM Interconnection, one of America's largest grid operators, warns of significant power supply issues in the coming years, leading to more common shortages and blackouts. According to PJM, the main problem is that fossil fuel-based power plants are retiring at a rate faster than renewables are developing, leaving an energy imbalance. They forecast that 40,000 megawatts, or roughly 21% of the company's uh, current power generation, which equates to power for 30 million homes, will be retired by 2030, with no means yet available of replacing that energy loss. These fossil fuel power plant retirements are primarily policy-driven as a result of regulations from the Environmental Protection Agency. The report notes that the rate of uh, completion for new renewable um, uh, power plants would optimistically provide 21,000 megawatts by 2030, making up just half of the energy from the retiring fossil fuel plants. Energy will increasingly become a problem for the nation, and it's a problem that easily could have been avoided if politicians hadn't placated the uh, climate activists. 
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but we will return to continue our wind through some of the day's headlines. And coming up in the second hour, a conversation with uh, Ann Edward, Executive Director of Restore Hope Network on House Bill 2458, now in the Oregon Legislature. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Ann Edward. She is the executive director of Restored Hope Network. We'll talk about House Bill 2458 prohibits so-called conversion therapy in the state of Oregon. We'll also hear from Ron Post, author of Unchained, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives. And we'll um, also look what's, uh, at what's trending on Twitter, World War III, by the way, at the same time, On college campuses, God appears to be moving in the hearts of young people. All of that in the second hour of today's program. Well, it turns out they are coming for your gas stoves, despite the back and forth on the subject. And a lawsuit is forcing Los Angeles County to remove 1.2 million ineligible voters from the rolls, calling them child butchers. A detransitioner filed the first U.S. lawsuit against a hospital that performed a sex change. And the U.S. marriage rate has declined 60 percent since 1970, according to a new study. Congresswoman Cori Bush married her campaign security guard in a secret wedding over the weekend. On this day in history, 1616, astronomer Galileo Galilei, he meets with a Roman Inquisition official, Cardinal Robert Bellarmine, who orders him to abandon the heretical concept of heliocentrism, which shows that the Earth revolves around the sun instead of the other way around. 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte escapes from exile on the island of Elba and heads back to France in a bid to regain power. 1829, Levi Strauss, founder of Levi Strauss and Company, which would make the first blue jeans, is born in um, Butenheim, Bavaria, Germany. 1904, the United States and Panama proclaim a treaty under which the U.S. agrees to undertake efforts to build a ship canal across the Panama Isthmus. 1917, President Woodrow Wilson signs a congressional act establishing Mount McKinley National Park, now known as uh, Denali National Park, in the Alaska Territory. 1919, President Woodrow Wilson signs a congressional act establishing Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona. 1929, President Calvage, uh, Calvin Coolidge rather signs a measure establishing Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. 1952, Prime Minister Winston Churchill announces that Britain has developed its own atomic bomb. 1984, the last U.S. Marines deployed to Beirut as part of an international peacekeeping force withdraw from the Lebanese capital. 1987, the Tower Commission, which probed the Iran-Contra affair, issues a report rebuking President Ronald Reagan for failing to control his national security staff. 1993, a truck bomb built by Islamic extremisms, extremists rather, explodes in the parking garage of the North Tower of New York's World Trade Center, killing six people and injuring more than a thousand others. The bomb fails to topple the North Tower into the South Tower as the terrorists had hoped. However, both structures would be disp- destroyed rather in the 9-11 attack eight years later. 1994, a jury in San Antonio acquits 11 followers of David Koresh of murder, rejecting claims they ambushed federal agents. However, five are convicted of voluntary manslaughter. 1998 in Amarillo, Texas, they reject an $11 million lawsuit brought by Texas cattlemen who blame Oprah Winfrey's talk show for a price drop following a food safety segment that included a discussion about a mad cow disease. 
2009 General Motors Corporation posts a $9.6 billion loss for the fourth quarter in 2008. And in 2009, the Pentagon reversing an 18-year-old policy says it would allow some media coverage of returning war dead with family approval. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, President Barack Obama speaking in St. Paul, Minnesota, he says uh, he would ask Congress for $300 billion to update aging roads and railways. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic most likely originated from a laboratory leak, according to a classified intelligence report from the U.S. Energy Department. The report, which is included in an update of the 2021 document by Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines' office, was recently provided to the White House and other lawmakers. Sources told the Wall Street Journal that the updated assessment from the Energy Department is the result of new intelligence. The Energy Department, which oversees a network of U.S. national laboratories, made its judgment with low confidence, the Wall Street Journal reported. The assessment marks a change from 2021 when the department was undecided on how the virus originated. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan responded to the report on Sunday during an appearance on CNN's State of the Union. Here's what I can tell you, he said. President Biden has directed repeatedly every element of our intelligence community to put effort and resource behind getting to the bottom of this question, Sullivan said. If we gain any further insider information, we will share it with Congress and we will share it with the American people. But right now, there is not a definitive answer that has emerged from the intelligence community on this question, end quote. Well, the declassified intelligence report released in November of 21 previously revealed that the FBI concluded that uh, with moderate confidence that the pandemic began with a laboratory accident following a 90 day review ordered by President Biden. The FBI still holds this view, according to the report, while four other agencies and the National Intelligence Council assess with low confidence the pandemic was likely caused by natural transmission from an infected animal Two other agencies, including the CIA are undecided. So the question still hangs somewhat in the balance. Several virology labs are located in Wuhan, where the pandemic began, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where bat coronaviruses were studied and developed. U.S. officials told the Wall Street Journal that while the Energy Department and the FBI agree that an unintended lab leak was likely the cause of the pandemic, both agencies made their assessment for different reasons. Well, we'll see... uh, What the final conclusion is, Congress is reviewing its origin, particularly in the House. Well, on Monday, China accused the U.S. of politicizing the COVID-19 pandemic, dismissing the Energy Department's conclusion. The department uh, concluded, as mentioned, of uh, based on new intelligence that the pandemic did begin in a Chinese lab. COVID tracing is a scientific issue that should not be politicized. That's a quote from Mao Ning, a Chinese foreign ministry spokeswoman in a response to the Finding, according to the New York Times, Ning also called on the U.S. to stop defaming China by raising the lab leak theory. And while U.S. intelligence agencies disagree on the probable cause of China's claims to have ruled out the possibility of a laboratory leak, it has also sought to deflect blame by spreading a conspiracy theory that COVID may have been the result of research at a U.S. military lab in Fort Detrick, Maryland. The National Intelligence Council and four agencies that officially have declined to identify still assess with low confidence that the virus came about through natural transmission. Well, in an act clearly designed to send a message to Beijing, 
A contingent of 100 to 200 U.S. troops will be deployed to Taiwan for the express purpose of expanding an existing military training program with the Taiwanese military. Well, these two troops uh, represent a significant increase of U.S. military presence on the island nation, which China has um, long claimed as its own. The big uh, strategic takeaway, however, is that U.S. troops serve as a... um, a gauntlet against Chinese invasion. Well, the U.S. troops will be there helping Taiwan prepare and develop a porcupine defense strategy to counter a potential Chinese invasion. We don't have a, a comment on specific operations, engagements, or training, says Army Lieutenant Colonel Marty Miners, a Pentagon spokesman. But I would highlight that our support for and defense uh, relationship with Taiwan remains aligned against the current threat posed by the People's Republic of China. Our commitment to Taiwan is rock solid and contributes to the maintenance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait within the region, end quote. Well, in a way, the U.S. is slowly but steadily returning to a Cold War-like position. America stationed in significant number of troops on the island nation until 1979 when the U.S. agreed to sever formal ties with Taiwan while at the same time developing a formal relationship with China. American military presence in Taiwan has declined ever since, though the commitment to assist Taiwan in maintaining defense of the island remains to this day. While U.S. officials have been quick to dispel the notion that the decision is a response to China's uh, provocative actions and floating a spy balloon across the uh, continental U.S. a few weeks back, insisting that it was planned months prior, there's little argument that it will serve to warn Beijing that any move against Taiwan will invite U.S. intervention. Indeed, the presence of U.S. troops in Taiwan effectively establishes the country as an ally. Should China strike Taiwan and in doing so kill any U.S. troops, it would likely demand a military response from the U.S. The question is, would Joe Biden greenlight a military response? Maybe more importantly, does Beijing believe that Biden would respond with force? Donald Trump, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, agreed with Biden's decision to send the troops saying, I think this is the right thing to do. However, the always hawkish uh, Bolton was quick to advise not stopping there. I would uh, home port a couple of American naval vessels uh, in Taiwan's big harbor and show the Chinese that uh, we're going to to be there training and assisting the Taiwanese against any possible Chinese attack. And his rationale is uh, preventing war. The aim here is not to win a war that China starts. The aim, aim here is to deter China from doing it. And believe me, we can do a lot more to do that. Republican Representative Mike Gallagher, the new chair of the House Select Committee on China, shares Bolton's view. And he argued we need to be moving heaven and earth to arm Taiwan to the teeth to avoid a war. In other words, the U.S. should make an attempt, um, an attempted invasion of Taiwan so dangerous for China's uh, that Beijing would have to be crazy to try it. We'll continue to follow the story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour of today's program, a conversation with Ann Edwards. She is the executive director of Restore Hope Network. We're going to talk about House Bill 2458. It's an effort to prohibit so called conversion therapy, essentially talk therapy, muzzling professionals who are approached by individuals uh, for counseling. We'll be Talking with her about that in the next hour. Well, one year out from the 2024 primaries, and I hate to even say it because 
it will begin then. Uh, there's a debut of um, a survey on the presidential nomination races. Spoiler alert, former President Donald Trump looks formidable, while President Biden faces some doubt. Republican primary voters were um, handed a list of 15 who have announced and potential candidates for the 2024 nomination. Trump tops the list at 43 percent, followed by DeSantis at 28 percent. Nikki Haley and Mike Pence at 7 percent, respectively, and Greg Abbott and Liz Cheney at 2 percent each. All others received 1 percent or less. Even at this early stage, only 3 percent are unsure of their pick. Among Republican primary voters, men, women and those under the age of uh, under and over 45 and those without a college degree all put uh, Trump first and DeSantis second. The Florida governor is ahead among those with a college degree and those who think Biden was legitimately elected. And the two are within a point or so among suburban voters and those with higher incomes. Currently, the GOP primary dynamics are simple, says um, a Republican who conducted this survey with uh, Democrat Chris Anderson. DeSantis needs Trump to falter because uh, most of the former president's supporters see the Florida governor as the second best choice. At the same time, other candidates will need DeSantis to falter because his supporters have no um, single fallback option and would be up for grabs should he flame out. Trump tops Haley by 66 to 24 percent in the matchup between the two announced GOP candidates. While 37 percent of Democratic primary voters want to keep Biden as their party's nominee, a majority of 53 percent say that they would like someone else to run. That support for Biden pales in comparison to what Trump received four years ago. In February of 2019, at this same point in the election cycle, 72 percent of GOP registered voters wanted to keep Trump as their party's nominee, nearly double Biden's current support. Meanwhile, 84 percent of Democratic primary voters approve of the job Biden is doing as president. So age is a major issue. The age he will be as he begins and serves a second term. Uh, they like him and the job he's doing, even if they might wish for an alternative in 2024. Roughly equal numbers say they plan to participate in the Democratic and GOP primaries, 40 percent, 41 percent, respectively, or caucus in this, their state. Four years ago, the in March of 2019, it was 41 percent Democrat, 38 percent Republican. Overall, 77 percent favor requiring mental competency uh, tests for politicians over the age of 75. 51-year-old Haley suggested the uh, cognitive exams during the first week of her 2024 campaign. The tests would apply to both Biden at age 80 and Trump at 76. More millennials are 83 percent and Gen Xers at 84 percent want the test uh, that um, than baby boomers do at 66 percent and more Republicans at 87 percent and independents at 74 percent favor them than Democrats. And that's the um, competency test. Well, the um, survey was taken in mid-February under the joint direction of Beacon Research and Shaw and Company Research. Well, Governor DeSantis on Monday signed a bill that will enable the state, uh, state of Florida to take control of Disney World's Special District. The bill gives the governor the authority to appoint all five governing board members for the Reedy Creek Improvement District, a departure from the previous arrangement in which Disney was able to appoint all board members, allowing the storied entertainment company control over services and development within the special district. Look at your watch and you'll know at what time the corporate kingdom finally came to an end, the governor said at a signing ceremony. 
Florida's battle with Disney began when the company publicly denounced the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which prohibited the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity in K through third grade public schools. Disney declared that the legislation should never have passed and should never have been signed into law. The company went on to suspend political donations in Florida in an um, action um, of protest against the legislation. In April, Governor DeSantis retaliated by signing a bill that stripped Disney of its 50-year-old independent special district status, which had granted it the privilege of creating its own regulations, building codes, and other municipal services within the zone. The arrangement had also shielded Disney from a significant tax burden, but not anymore. The governor's decision to hold Disney liable for its progressive activism sparked debate with the political right, with free market defenders uh, clashing with culture war hawks over whether the uh, move was an appropriate exercise of state authority. Well, last week, former Vice President Mike Pence argued that uh, DeSantis' support of the law that revoked Disney's special status was a departure from his preferred vision of limited government. Pence, who is a potential 2024 presidential candidate, disagreed with DeSantis' legal attacks against Disney as well. I have concerns, Pence said, about the follow-on. Disney stepped into the fray. They lost. The idea of going after their taxing authority, that was beyond the scope of what I was, as a conservative, a limited government uh, Republican, would be prepared to do. Meanwhile, as the showdown between Florida legislature and the Walt Disney Corporation heated up over an education bill some months ago, uh, Disney's then CEO called Governor Ron DeSantis and complained about the pressure he was facing. The governor recounts the conversation in a chapter of his new memoir, The Courage to be Free, Florida's Blueprint for American Revival, which will be released on Tuesday by the publisher HarperCollins. The chapter, shared exclusively with Fox News Digital, reveals what the um, uh, Bob Chapak, who was Disney CEO at the time, told DeSantis as the fight over Florida's education law heated up in the spring of 22. As the controversy over the parental rights and education bill was coming to a head, Chapak called me, the governor says. He did not want Disney to get involved, but he was getting a lot of pressure to weigh in against the bill. We get pressured all the time. Chapak apparently told the governor, according to the uh, the governor's book, but this time is different. I haven't seen anything like this before. And the outcome, of course, we all know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, the Biden administration has quietly admitted that the White House's 9,000 unused oil permits talking points is actually wrong. Well, the uh, CEO of Alaska Oil and Gas Association joined um, Fox and Friends first to discuss the implications of canceling the project and why it would hurt the locals most. The administration quietly updated a federal database that shows how many unused oil and gas um, drill uh, permits uh, that it has approved, reducing the number by about 2,000, actually more than 2,000. Well, the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, Revise the current number of approved applications for permits to drill, which oil and gas companies are required to file once they identify a deposit on a, a lease that can be tapped, down from an estimated 9,000 to fewer than 6,700. The BLM, a sub-agency uh, of the Department of the Interior, blamed the revision on a Trump-era technical change that it hadn't properly accounted for. It all boils down to Trump in the end. As of February of 23. Companies have over 6,600 
approved and unused drilling permits available on federal lands, the BLM admitted in a statement that this number has been updated to account for reporting discrepancy resulting from a transition to a new database in mid-2020. So talking points can be revised and made more accurate. You've got news and traffic coming up in just a few moments. And in the second hour, a conversation with Ann Edward. She is the executive director of Restored Hope Network. We're going to talk about Oregon House Bill 2458 that proposes to prohibit so-called conversion therapy. In other words, talk therapy with a professional, a licensed professional. It's a form of censorship of a view that certain members of the legislature just don't like. More on that after news and traffic. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, you may or may not be aware of a piece of legislation in the Oregon legislature, which, by the way, is in session. This is the long year. So hold on to your wallets. There is a piece of legislation, House Bill 2458, that would prohibit so-called conversion therapy. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, but you may not fully understand what it's, well, purported to mean and what this piece of legislation would do here in the state of Oregon. I've asked Ann Edward to join me to talk about that. She's the director of Restored Hope Network and one of the people on my list, the pantheon of Christian leaders I most admire. She is on that very short list of people who have devoted themselves to doing the work uh, of the ministry and has uh, done so um, with great... um, great effect. And it's always a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. Well, thank you, Georgine. What a pleasure to be with you. Well, I have to I have to begin at the beginning because I'm not sure all of our listeners understand this um, so-called conversion therapy. Uh, the piece of mm-hmm. legislation we're talking about, House Bill 2458, is uh, purported to eliminate conversion therapy here in the state of Oregon. So I wanted to start there because I think there's great misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of what this phrase is supposed to mean, but what it actually means and does. Can we begin there? What is conversion therapy that this uh, House bill is supposed to uh, eliminate in Oregon? Well, they mention many things, but essentially they do not eliminate speech, um, conversations, prayer, sharing one's testimony of leaving homosexuality, etc. So all of those things are actually contained within this ban. Um, counseling, just talk therapy. Um, spiritual care, that would be considered speech that prevents, that's prevented here. Sharing one's testimony publicly, prayer, um, all of that is contained within speech prohibition um, for professional licensed counselors. And it's a, what I call it is a nose of a camel's, camel's mm-hmm. nose going in the tent, so to speak. The rest of the body's coming. And uh, if they can prohibit talk therapy for those who seek to leave homosexuality or align with their bodily uh, selves, their body, as opposed to embracing cross-sex identity, um, if they can prohibit that uh, from the conversation, then they can fairly soon say, well, if we prohibit this for adults uh, using licensed therapists, then why are we not prohibiting it for religious individuals um, who are helping others? So their assumptions are that conversion therapy is aversion. It's mm. all these horrific practices when, in fact, the American Psychological Association and their task force of 2009, which most of this relies upon, um, admitted in their document 
that those are ancient um, techniques that possibly techniques, I put that in air quotes, um, from a long time ago in settings very far, far away. Um, they are not used and have not been used for 50, 70, 100 years. So I think we're um, fair to say uh, the 11th Circuit Court, which overturned minor bans of conversion therapy, acknowledged it outright. They said, what we're talking about here is purely speech-based therapy. So do we have the right to have uh, adults have the right to look for the kind of care that they want, or is it going to be prohibited? What is the harm that this piece of legislation, and for that matter, other efforts to eliminate the possibility of the kind of talk therapy that you've just described. What's the harm that they're trying to address? Uh, or is this just uh, out of whole cloth, a, a, a way to, again, put that camel's nose under the tent? Well, honestly, as we know, aversion therapies has not been used for a very long time, according to uh, professional organizations. So what are they trying to prevent? Purely speech-based um, therapy and any other care that might help a person who actually wants to leave homosexuality. They assume coercion, but it doesn't prevent, um, it prevents people who actually want help from getting care. Um, it doesn't make any distinction between coercion and non-coercion. It, it's, it's fascinating. Now, I think if they wrote a really good law, they could say we're against using any form of aversion therapy, but we allow for talk and conversations and spiritual care and that kind of thing. And if it's um, desired by the client, whether minor or adult, that we can talk about these things with an open mind and help help the person align with their faith if that's what they wanted. Uh, but amazingly, they're not writing a law like that. Um, so I think it's very, very telling, Georgine. Mm-hmm. I believe that it's so clear that if they're willing to forbid talk, um, there is a very clear standard here of what they're trying to put out. They're saying, no, there's only one direction you can go in. And um, getting the support you want is not okay. You cannot leave gay. You shouldn't leave gay. And um, we don't care if you're more suicidal as a result of not getting the care you want. In fact, there's data to back up that people who get the care they seek, even in Williams Institute data, UCLA, that is a pro-gay lobby group, did a, a huge research project. And in that, they found that people who wanted to leave homosexuality were more likely to be to be suicidal. To, they were twice as likely. Well, that makes sense if you think that you have feelings in which your faith or your values are in conflict with that. Okay, but what happened, They and they captured this data but never released it, what happens if a person actually gets the care they want and they're in conflict with their feelings at the end of that care, are they better off or worse off? Now, they had the answer, but they never shared it. Do you know what the answer is? It's 17 to 25 times they're doing better and less suicidal. That's huge. Mm-hmm. The yeah. benefits for care are huge, and they're trying to shut off that door, shut, close that door. Where does this um, piece of legislation in the Oregon legislature stand today, and what, from your vantage point, are the prospects of it moving forward and ultimately succeeding? 
Well, honestly, we there was a recent hearing. It was in the um, House Committee for Health um, and and Medical Services, and um, three out of the the seven, I believe, are gay individuals who are Democrats and in favor of this bill. Um, one of them was a sponsor of the bill, so that's interesting for sure. But there was also a um, a gentleman on the bill who asked a question. It was very, very telling, the outcome. Um, and we talked about the speech issues and what the U.S. Supreme Court is likely to rule on this based upon the Becerra versus Nifla case, mm-hmm. uh, where it was ruled professional speech is protected. And the 11th Circuit Court ruling that said it overturned the bans for minors in three states, not just a couple of municipalities, but three states. Um, so we brought that up. Um, their side argued that um, the Ninth Circuit Court would back up this law, no problem. But honestly, if it was brought to challenge to the U.S. Supreme Court, the basis is there for overturning all the bans for the entire nation. Because these bans are not based upon horrific treatment. They're based upon speech with, with which they disagree. Mm-hmm. Which is a um, popular so, concept these days. Go ahead. <laughs> Right. It's the ultimate ban, you know, cancel culture, right? Uh, shutting off the options for people who want them, who seek it, who are not coerced, but actually seeking out the help that they desire. It's shutting off options is what it is. So what's going to happen? Well, um, if it passes into law, it will be challenged. It will likely go up to the Ninth Circuit Court, which may or may not rule for it. There, there are potentials. Um, in Washington State, they ruled to back up the minor ban for Washington State recently, but that puts two circuit courts in contrast. And what happens when that situation happens is it's very likely to, to raise that up to the bar of the U.S. Supreme Court. So at that point, it could potentially overturn bans for the entire nation, quite honestly. So if the if Oregon state passes this ban for adults so they cannot seek counseling that they desire um this will no la- no doubt add to the urgency for why the US Supreme Court should hear the case honestly i think it would overturn the bans for the entire nation yeah based on previous decisions it it seems that's the direction that the court would take now we're again seems, we're talking about yes. Oregon House Bill 2458, it's in the uh, subcommittee to um, uh, House Committee on Behavioral Health and Health Care. Uh, we're going to continue to follow this uh, this piece of legislation. Your advice to uh, listeners who are concerned not only as it relates to this particular kind of speech, but how it might be more broadly defined uh, should this succeed here in the state of Oregon. I think it's really important to understand that we're talking about banning professional speech. We're taking into account uh, philosophies or ideas that should not be allowed, unpopular ideas perhaps, irrelevant. The whole point is this is protected speech. I think we need to be careful and watch for places where our speech is being infringed upon and not silence ourselves in advocating for those who deserve the right to choose their own path forward. Well, I appreciate your bringing our attention to this legislation. And as I mentioned, we'll continue to follow it. And we may have another conversation at some point in the future, depending on what happens in the uh, the Oregon legislature. And Edward, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Georgine. Appreciate it.
Again, uh, Anne is the executive director of Restored Hope Network and uh, just uh, delighted to have her with us to bring our attention to this piece of legislation that has the potential to have much broader implications here in the state of Oregon, should it succeed in this legislative session. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, there's a new memoir from Medical Teams International founder that details how he went from abuse victim to saving lives around the world. Well, in his new memoir, Unchained, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives, Ron Post admits that he should not have been the founder of a global medical humanitarian organization. He never envisioned receiving the National Jefferson Award for being a changemaker or being named one of America's unsung heroes by Newsweek magazine. He was a simple businessman with a family when he one evening news story forever altered his life. Well, we're going to hear more about that story. Ron Post founded Medical Teams International and Mission Increase, his worldwide work in humanitarian uh, in the Humanities, I should say, earned him two honorary doctorates, one from Northwest Christian College and the second from Lewis and Clark College, the 1,000 Points of Light Award presented by President George W. Bush, the World Service Medal by Kiwanis International, the National Jefferson Award, and was named one of America's Unsung Heroes by Newsweek. He and his wife, Jean, have three children and, at this writing, six grandchildren. They reside right here in Oregon, uh, where they have continued to serve their communities while serving the world. I am so delighted to uh, welcome Ron Post to the program today. Thank you for joining us. Well, hi, Georgine. It's good to talk to you again. It's good to talk to you as well. I have to tell you, I've been thrilled all day just anticipating uh, having this opportunity. Uh, This is a wonderful book, but there are some things I think many of your readers will find surprising. You might get a little glimpse in the subtitle of the book, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives. Yours is a story that is unexpected, but uh, thrilling to hear how God has used you in ways that even you didn't anticipate. Yes, it has been a a wonderful uh, experience, and yes, I did come from a life that was had childhood abuse in it. And um, but through finding Christ as my Savior, uh, I was able to find forgiveness for those who um, did hurt me, and go on to uh, live a life of meaning and purpose. You and your wife are watching a news accounts of what we now refer to as the killing fields of Cambodia. Now, many of us saw that same newsreel. We were moved by it. We were horrified by the images we were seeing. But for you, it was a different experience. Tell us about how you watched that unfold on television and how that moved you in a direction that you had not anticipated. Well, first of all, just a, just a businessman watching news one night of the killing fields of Cambodia and um, there, was, there was a scene that came on, Georgine, that um, appeared to be a perhaps a, a teenage girl and, and that they were picking up out of a rice field that maybe had starved to death. And at that time, I looked over on the couch where my 16-year-old daughter lay, and I thought, that could have been my daughter mm-hmm. there. And um, as as I pondered that, it was like someone handed me a plan that I was to raise up medical teams and take them there and help those people. And it it floored me. Uh, it was so strong. And when I finally could blurt it out to my wife 
and said, honey, this is what I feel like I'm called to do. She said, yes, I've been thinking that we need to do something. We've, you've got to do this, Ron. And that was the beginning of God opening doors, unbelievable doors to make it happen. Yeah, it really is remarkable. You write that you felt utterly unqualified at the enormity of the task, and yet yes. you picked up the phone and you made a phone call, and that sort of got, it was an act of obedience, and that got the ball rolling. Tell us how it started. I believe you called a local reporter? I did. I called uh, the reporter that I'd seen the newscast, and um, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and he would later say, you know, you get a lot of calls at 11 o'clock at night, but he said somehow when this man told me what he wanted to do, uh, I felt like I need to listen to him. And so after hearing my story that I felt I was supposed to raise up medical teams, he said, why don't you call Mike Donahue at KOIN TV in Portland and tell him? And I thought, okay. And I did. But never thought I would get through to Mike, but the, the Lord had already opened the door. <laughs> and and the, when the phone rang, Mike picked up the phone, and I told him my story again of how I felt led to raise up a medical team and take him over there. And Mike Donahue, who is now a dear, dear friend uh, and brother in the Lord, Mike says, Ron, why don't you call a news conference and tell people? And so, <laughs> never having done that before, I did. I called a news conference the next day and, and went there, uh, actually, to talk to a couple of uh, missionary doctors about uh, this. And when I got there, I, I had forgotten to tell them <laughs> that the news <laughs> team might be there. And they were quite upset with me, by the way. And I really felt bad. I apologized. But we sat down at this table, and I began, and here's all the TV stations and the newspaper there. It, it, was, uh, it was beyond my, uh, my uh, reasoning or understanding, but God had placed them there. And actually, uh, Georgine, the media God used to propel Northwest Medical Teams, now called Medical Teams International, uh, and did that for years and years and years. Uh, God used the media to help build Medical Teams International, and so from that um, from that press re- uh, conference, uh, uh, they said it'll be on the news tonight. Um, they said, "Well, give me a phone number, and we'll uh, we'll put it on the screen." And I lived in Salem not Portland. I thought, oh gosh, I could give my home phone, but it's a long distance call. By the way, young people wouldn't understand that today. Uh, It would be a long distance call. And so I called a friend uh, who worked for the phone company. I said, Woody, they're going to put this thing on, I think on the news tonight, and I I need a toll-free number. And he said, oh yeah, I could help you, Ron. Uh, Probably take about two weeks. Oh no, Woody. (laughs) And he said, what do you want, Ron? I said, I need it tonight. He said, that's impossible. I said, well, could you try, Woody? And a few hours later, he called me back and said, okay, I got it. You got two two toll-free lines. And so 
my beautiful wife, who has now gone to be with the Lord, uh, December 5th last year, mm-hmm. um, and I sat at a table in a borrowed office space and put our television screen on there on the table, and it came on at 6 o'clock, and after they told what we were trying to do to take a team to Cambodia, um, he said, here's a number you can call. The phone started ringing off the hook, and people were saying, hi, I'm an attorney, Rick Stein. Can I come down and just empty waste paper cans, whatever you want? And another said, hi, I'm Ed Cameron. I'd like to come down and volunteer. I said, come on down. Someone called and said, I'm a doctor. I want to volunteer. Someone called and said, I I want to give to this. And this continued for, oh, two two weeks. And we raised $250,000 back in 1979. That's incredible. So it was was a miracle, Georgine. It was a miracle. Well, since then, Northwest Medical Teams, now Medical Teams International, has served countless uh, lives in countries around the world, most recently in war-torn Ukraine and in Uganda uh, as the Ebola virus reemerges. Could you have imagined in those early days when you're watching a newscast and God prompts you to do something in response to what you're seeing that the, the ministry, the organization that you began would have such a significant impact all around the world for decades to come? No, I would have never dreamed that. Uh, I thought it was just a one-time thing. We'd take a team over there, we'd help, we'd come home. And and basically I did. I came home and went back to my business. And it took another three or four years for God to really get my attention and say, Ron, I I want this to be a permanent Mm -hmm. mission. But it took me a a little while to understand that. And uh, what kicked the next one off was the great famine of Ethiopia in 1985, and that would propel us into a, a, um, a ministry full-time. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about your experience in Ethiopia that left an impression on you that has remained to this day. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Ron Post. He is beloved in our community and around the world. His new book, Unchained, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives. And he has done that in ways that uh, just have been a blessing all around the world. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. We're talking with Ron Post. He has a new memoir, and we are excited to introduce Unchained, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives, that tells his story from start to finish in ways that will inspire and challenge you. Now, you write about an experience you had in Ethiopia, a camp there with over 150,000 hungry people. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that experience where every morning over 1,400 mothers with starving babies and children would line up as you offered medical attention and other um, uh, necessary items. Tell us a bit about that story. Georgine, that was one of the greatest tragedies of our lifetime. Hundreds of thousands of people were dying of starvation from uh, crop failure uh, and also civil war. And um, we were there to help these people with our medical teams. Uh, in one particular area of a camp we worked in, there was a feeding center where we were taking in the most neediest uh, babies and children 
for intensive feeding. And so every morning there would be about 1,400 women with their babies that would line up in rows hoping to be admitted to the feeding center because their baby was so malnourished. And our nurses would go down through the lines. And when they feel between the fingers of the babies for fat content, and then from that, they would choose 200 to 250 of the worst cases when they all were worst cases, knowing that the ones that they didn't choose may die by tomorrow. And yet, they could only take 250 uh, new cases every year, in every day, into the uh, feeding center. And so they would make their choice of the 250, go off in the corner, and cry over those that were left that they knew might not make it. It was a heart-wrenching experience, and we all shed many tears over that. But uh, that's all we could do at that time. You write about um, an incident in which um, a woman was approaching you with a bucket uh, that she was hoping to be filled with grain so that she and perhaps her loved ones could survive. She didn't make it past uh, approaching you, and that bucket wasn't filled because she died at your feet. Yes, she did, Georgine, and it was seared on my mind forever. I still have an image of her in my mind. Uh, that she died at my feet with a black bucket that Mm. she had brought to get the grain. And that bucket was only a couple of inches from her hand. They took a photo of it and gave it to me later, and I've kept it ever since. Um, She had come seeking grain, and um, the Lord impressed upon me for years after that, Ron, there are millions of of empty buckets in our world. And I want you to help fill those buckets. And I want you to tell people that there are empty buckets needing filled all over this world, even in your in your neighborhood, and that you are called by God to fill those buckets. That's our calling. Um, we are to love our God and love our neighbor. And so that was seared into my memory forever. I'll never forget it. Just reading it, it's seared in my memory as well. I had the opportunity to serve on the board with um, Medical Teams International before the name change. And during the name change, I traveled uh, with Northwest Medical Teams. And I, I, I can't tell you what a blessing it was to witness firsthand the work that's being done and uh, what an imprint that, that put on my heart. And it just seared you as a, a, a hero to me uh, for many, many years. I imagine there are some of our listeners who think, you know, if you knew my background, if you knew how old I am, there's no way that God could use me. Even if I were to hear his voice calling me in some way, I can't imagine myself qualified. You sort of address that in the book, Unchained, as well. Those who imagine that perhaps their background, uh, what they've suffered in the past, or maybe they've disqualified themselves because of their age. How do you respond to those who are reluctant because they've already decided, no, God would never use me? Oh, you know, Georgine, God, (laughs) Paul, the apostle, was very clear about that. He, He fought to the very end. Uh, because he knew he had to finish the race. 
and we all are in a race. God's called us all to this race of of life, and we can we can we need to finish strong in it. Um, it the Bible says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God uh, prepared in advance for us to do. We were created to do good works. God's called us to do that. And when I do that, when you do that, or anyone does that, that's what we're doing to fulfill God's calling on our own lives. And there are so many buckets to be filled. Mm-hmm. I think you're... I pray. Please go ahead. Yes. Well, I just pray that people will understand that it is wonderful, and you're never too old to begin. Uh, there are so many people. My dear, blessed wife, Jean, uh, when she retired from medical teams, uh, she does such great work at medical teams, she didn't just sit down. She heard one Sunday about the uh, shut-ins in our church, and, and she thought, I, I need to send them a card encouraging them. And so she bought a ton of cards, Georgine, and she would sit and write by the hour encouraging people uh, that are shut-ins, and she would mail them to her. You are never too old. There are people in the warehouse at Medical Chains International right now who are volunteering untold hours. I've talked to people that that have volunteered there for 10 years, 15 years, and they love what they're doing in helping them with packing medical supplies and getting them shipped off. And, of course, right now, medical teams is helping, as we speak, with the earthquake victims in Turkey. And, you know, they need volunteers to go in there and help them to do that great work they do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I tell you, it's uh, just amazing to consider what God can do when there's a willing heart you were a businessman. Your course was set. You were successful at what you were doing. And yet God said, I want you to do this. And you were willing to do it. And that, it seems to me, is the main ingredient, a willing and open heart and compassion to do what God is calling you to do. Well, I'm just thankful that I did, Georgie. Uh, it's a, it is the greatest step I ever made in my life. And I encourage other people to take that step because you know, even the, the great mobile medical uh, dental units mm-hmm. that uh, medical teams has, there are wonderful volunteer opportunities on those dental vans. Um, dentists volunteer their time to, to help on that van so that people can of low income can have dental care. There's so much that we can do, and, and I, you'll never feel better about your life than when you reach out to help another person. That's absolutely true. In addition to um, Medical Teams International, you are also responsible for founding Mission Increase that's offered um, help to ministries, assisting them with biblical fundraising. And that has had a tremendous impact for other nonprofit organizations that are ministering to people around the world. It's been exciting. In 1999, along with my dear friends, Dale and Gail Stockcamp, we co-founded Mission Increase because we wanted to help Christian ministries to grow in their biblical fundraising. And it begins with, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive, to let them know that those wonderful partners who are helping them in their ministry 
are partners in in the ministry, and we we work to try to show them how important those partners are, and so we give them free workshops uh, in all aspects of fundraising, and it's been wonderful how they've grown eight, ten times uh, their size uh, after taking these workshops, and so right now, Mission Increase is training somewhere around 3,500 ministries a year across the United States in biblical fundraising, and uh, it's making an impact uh, in non-profit, Christian nonprofits. Well, if I were to think of one word to describe your work in this um, in this life, it would be impact. You have had a significant impact, not only in the ministry that has gone forth from uh, this part of the world outward, but also in the lives of those who've had the opportunity to work with you, to um, enjoy the fruit of your legacy. And I'm so grateful that we can claim you as an Oregonian and that you have written this book to help us better understand uh, how you arrived at um, the successful ministry uh, that you've been engaged in for many, many years. Once again, the book is called Unchained, A Man's Journey from Abuse to Healing to Saving Lives. Where can our listeners find Unchained? They can go to Amazon and order it, or they can go to ronpost.org, ronpost.org, where they not only can order it, Georgine, but we post two new devotions a week on that website that's free, and they can enjoy those devotions and I pray that it strengthens everyone that will read them. And so ronpost.org, they can order the book or Amazon. Ron Post, thank you so much for the work that you are doing and have done and for taking time to join us here today. Thank you, Georgine. God bless. Bye-bye. Bless you. Oh, Bye. Love that guy. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Just a heads up, later this week, most likely on Wednesday, we're going to talk about revival. What does it mean? How does a revival differ from an awakening? And what kind of fruit does this kind of movement bear? What are we to make of what's happening on college campuses and some high school campuses all across the country and in churches as well? We'll talk with uh, Pastor Greg Allen and another uh, individual who had an opportunity to attend one of these um, vigils, if you will, on a college campus, and we'll uh, bring all of that to light on Wednesday's program. So I hope you can join us. In light of all of that, I was fascinated by a headline I read earlier today. While World War III is trending on Twitter, people are genuinely concerned about the outbreak of war, certainly Russia, Ukraine, but China, Taiwan as well. God moves on college campuses, both of these things happening At the same time, Virginia Allen, writing on the subject, points out that Russia is suspending the last nuclear arms treaty with America. Uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin are preparing to meet. North Korea is again testing its ballistic missiles. Ukraine has been at war with Russia for a year now. Meanwhile, World War Three is tending on Twitter earlier this week. Well, the millennial generation of which um, this writer, Virginia Allen, is a part has a tendency to respond to intense national and international news with memes and gifts. Uh, is, um, is it the best way to respond? No, but it's entertaining and perhaps relieves some of the pressure. Social media platforms were full of millennials coping mechanism memes this week as fears over nuclear weapons and geopolitical tensions grow. 
But doomsday predictions are not the only thing grabbing the attention of younger generations right now. A move of God on America's college campuses is captivating Generation Z. I want you to just pause for a moment and consider what that means. For this Generation Z, as they've been labeled, they're not turning to headlines, but they're turning on their knees to God in prayer. As often seems to be the case, light gets brighter when darkness grows. And a recent spiritual revival on the campus of Asbury University, a private, non-denominational Christian school in Wilmore, Kentucky, is a testament to this reality. On February 8th, as you probably know, a group of about 15 students there lingered in the campus chapel after a weekday morning service. As they prayed and worshipped, more students came back to the chapel and began to join them. The spontaneous gathering soon garnered the attention of the entire campus and the chapel began to fill, launching weeks of continuous worship and prayer services. It's so evident that God is doing something so unique and so special. That's a quote from one Asbury University student, Samantha. Um, She spoke to Jenny Allen, the host of Made for This podcast. Well, perhaps the simplest way to describe a revival is a move of God that brings about an increase in prayer, worship, and repentance. Now, on Wednesday, we're going to talk about the fruit that that bears. Is it simply a personal fruit, or does it lead to um, more of a public display, evangelism uh, fervor, or acts of, of worship that extend beyond the walls of a particular gathering? But that'll be on Wednesday. Thousands have traveled to Wilmore, population 6,000 in the past two weeks, to experience God's presence. Now, by the way, you don't have to travel to Wilmore to experience God's presence. But nonetheless, due to a number of factors, including limited space on campus, Thursday marks the final day of the planned revival services. But Asbury President Kevin Brown says the university's not stopping the revival. I've been asked if Asbury is stopping this outpouring of God's spirit and the stirring of human hearts. Uh, Brown said in a statement, I have responded by pointing out that we cannot stop something we did not start. This was never planned. Now, some are speculating that it was, in fact, planned days before, and this is simply a stunt. But he goes on to say, over the last few weeks, uh, we have been honored to steward and host services and the guests who have traveled far and wide to attend them. The trajectory of renewal meetings is always outward, and that is beginning to occur. Now, I think this is an important uh, part of the statement as we look at the events that began in Asbury, but have spread in other places across the country as well. He again says the trajectory of renewal meetings is always outward, and that's beginning to occur. We're talking about fruit. The move of God's presence has not been confined to the campus of Asbury, but has spread to Lee University in Tennessee, Samford University in Alabama, Cedarville University in Ohio. And by the way, the list is Extensive. I've seen several of them posted on Facebook of various places where similar uh, renewal has taken place. There's no show here, says a Christian filmmaker, Alex Kendricks, in a video shared on Twitter while standing outside the Lee University Chapel in Cleveland, Tennessee. There is no spectacle other than seeing hearts transformed, he said. The words of Christ in John 16, 33 seem particularly appropriate for the moment in history we are living through. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, end quote. Well, it's rather interesting to consider the significance of the revival in Asbury 
and the growing um, in international tensions that are taking place at the same time. Congress is also uh, considering an amendment that would erase the distinction between men and women. The implications would be devastating. There's a lot going on. And for Generation Z, as they have been uh, characterized, this is a moment in time for many of them to turn their attention, their focus upward rather than downward to the headlines and the events that are taking place. Russia has suspended the, the last nuclear arms treaty with America. Chinese President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin are preparing to meet. North Korea has again tested its ballistic missiles and Ukraine has been at war with Russia now for just a few days over a year. Meanwhile, World War Three is t- trending on Twitter. But millennials, some Generation Z, are experiencing this moment of anxiety and tension in a very different way. You don't have to be at Asbury. You don't have to be on a college campus to experience what we've been witnessing on social media. You simply bow the knee and with a sincere and open heart, you cry out to God, recognizing our utter need for him. You wrestle over the issues and challenges of our day that begins in our human heart and you make yourself available to follow him at any cost. You poise your ear to hear, you listen, and you follow. And that revival that we're seeing on college campuses and elsewhere can begin first in one's own heart. And then, as the uh, president of Asbury University said, uh, it, it moves outward. And I love the, uh, the picture of uh, what he describes. Um, he says, the trajectory of renewal meetings is always outward, and that is beginning to occur. And my prayer is for those of us who are simply onlookers at some great distance, that we would be inspired to press into God as well and see what he might say to us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in this state of Oregon or that state of Washington and see what he'll do in our place, in our time. Something to consider again on Wednesday. We'll be talking with a local pastor who has made revival a focus of his ministry and study and also a young man who had the opportunity, Jason Williams, had the opportunity to go to Asbury and shares his observations. Was this simply a spectacle to be viewed or was there something deeper going on? Again, coming up on Wednesday. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.